test of time the podcast where we watch almost every movie ever nominated for an academy award for best picture in order from the very first year to eventually the present year right now we are on 1930 to 1931 and boy a bunch of movies from this period have been lost yeah east lynn got weird huh (laughs) there were some plot twists in there i was not expecting so Instead of just watching three out of the five movies nominated for this year, we decided, well, actually, we are going to do that, but we decided that that was too few movies, so we picked another movie that came out in 1931, which is Frankenstein, and that is what we watched this week. And even though I have some criticisms of Frankenstein, and it was very clearly made in 1931... Boy, was it better than either of the Academy Award-nominated movies we've watched from 1931. And definitely better than Cimarron, which we know won. I don't know if that counts or not. Like, I don't know I don't know quite what that means for our rankings. I mean, I guess the thing that jumps out at me because of the specific type of nerd I am the most is like, boy, Young Frankenstein is a really direct parody of the 1931 Frankenstein. In a way I did not understand. I have not seen Young Frankenstein since I was like eight. Well, you have seen the first ten minutes of it, because the first ten minutes of it are basically the first ten minutes of the 1931 Frankenstein, with one extra joke thrown in where they do an abnormal, abnormal joke about the abnormal brain. And other than that, it's like a shot-for-shot fucking remake of this film. Well, this movie was great. Yeah. I think I'm so excited to talk about a movie that I unequivocally loved that I almost am speechless. I guess I have more criticisms. I would still say this is like, this is easily the best 1931 movie we've watched and is really up there for the best movie we've watched so far, period. It's still paced like a movie from 1931. It is really nice to see a movie where the, like, douchebag white guy protagonist is acknowledged to be a douchebag in the film. I will say, like, we've had a couple of protagonists who have done much worse things than Dr. Frankenstein, and the movies have been like, "Mm, I'm sure this is fine. And (laughs) Frankenstein does not think playing God is a particularly great plan, especially when you repeatedly yell, I feel like I'm God in the middle of doing something really morally questionable. I don't know that I would say, though, that that we have had people who have done arguably worse things than Dr. Frankenstein, because he basically gives this creation that he's made, so the monster, uh, which I feel weird about calling him that, but Frankenstein's monster, he basically, like, gives him seasonal affective disorder upon awakening like keeps him in the dark for three days okay you know what you're right there there is this weird (laughs) thing though where like you're right the things that actually make him the worst protagonist that we have yet watched are weirdly though not the things the film is angry at him for no it's angry at him for being a shitty partner to his fiance and like being an obsessive grave robber trying to play in god's domain Not so much the part where he does succeed in creating life and then, like, makes it a latchkey kid that he repeatedly whips. That part seems like the movie thinks that's 
a fine plan. I don't think the movie thinks that it's a fine plan. I think the way that the whole thing plays out is that the monster really never had a chance and he wasn't taught anything, which is why he ends up killing Fritz, who abuses him worse than Dr. Frankenstein does, and then accidentally kills a little girl. Can we go into... Sorry, one, the killing of the little girl is weirdly humorous, which is why I laughed. Mostly because it's it's like, you you think from like, the having seen a bunch of horror movies since then, that like, he's not gonna know his own strength, and there's gonna be like some horrible moment where he like, hurts her without realizing it. And instead it's that he's learned that throwing things into lakes is fun, so he just picks up the little girl and throws her into the lake. <laughs> And that is not how I was expecting that scene to go bad. And see, that's what happens when you don't have a parental figure to teach you stuff. Yeah. That little girls are not the same as rocks. Can we also do our patented screen test of time move and talk about how weird the ending is? The ending is so weird that I was certain that I had, like, sat on the Apple TV remote and accidentally skipped forward to... The end frame. The ending feels like, you know that thing where in like the 19th century they used to put a happy ending on King Lear? Yeah. And you're like, how does that even work? How would you even? (laughs) The answer is apparently for Frankenstein, a comedic scene with Dr. Frankenstein's dad being an alcoholic. (laughs) And then him and all of the maids being like, well, all's well that ends well. And then end of film. And it's like, wait. Is he back together with his wife? What is happening? Nope, no closure on that. That's not how we're getting a happy ending. No, literally no closure on anything at all, which was certainly like, this is a modernist take on uh, narrative. And I've got to say, if I, if I was disappointed about anything in this film, it's that I was really hoping for the last five minutes of the movie going to be the first example of like, that monster's hand popping up into frame is the very end of the film. Like, I was absolutely certain that's what we were building toward. Oh, I guess he's dead. But you never saw the body! And instead, it's like, time for an aperitif, and then end of film. <laughs> like, I... Um... <laughs> Not only that, but like, here's to hoping my son has a son. <laughs> yes! Uh, With whom? Because where's the... Did, did the marriage happen? Yeah. I Is she... Is, is she okay? <laughs> it's so 1931 that the monster doesn't attack her. She's just in shock, possibly for life. It's really genuinely ambiguous at the end of the film whether she's genuinely gone insane forever from seeing the monster or if she's, like, better now. They just never address it. Yeah, I mean, you never really see her again, actually. I want to talk about the very beginning of this movie, because it was delightful. Yes. And I think the next time anyone is like, oh, trigger warnings totally ruin anything, I'm going to be like, you need to watch the beginning of the 1931 Frankenstein, because that is a masterclass in doing trigger warnings correctly. (laughs) It's kind of my favorite thing when I go to, like, Disney World, too, is, like, because I feel like it's just a thing we've stopped doing for stupid reasons, because I love it every single time it happens, that you just do an introduction and then, like, really oversell what's coming. Like at the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, like at the Haunted Mansion, and there's, like, a couple of, like... Epcot does this all the time about, like, the future. 
and it's great there too. I thought you were talking about the scene in the graveyard, which is also great. It's just like great filmmaking. But yeah, the very, very first shot is somebody coming out from behind a curtain and like giving you a warning that this movie is going to be too fucking rad and you might lose your goddamn mind. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> like, legitimately. Yeah, I mean, it basically is. But it also mentions like... There's going to be sort of heresy that happens in it. So if you're super religious, like maybe this is not for you, that it may shock you and that it may horrify you. So if you don't want to put your nerves through that, now you can leave. And that's just such an incredibly, it's such a beautiful thing because it says, you know, it's fine. You can get out if this is not for you while titillating everybody who is going to be fine with those things. Yeah, and it's also, like, it's presented at this moment where, like, it's not like nobody's gonna leave, but, like, if you were really legitimately gonna leave before, because of it, you'd be like, well, thanks, dude, now that I've bought my ticket and sat down in this theater. Like, it's it's clearly there for the people who are gonna stick around and not for the people who are gonna leave because of it. And I love it for that. But it preps them for it. It's like, there's gonna be some stuff in here that's, like, offensive and possibly disturbing. Yeah. I don't think it's, like, not legitimate as a trigger warning. I just think that, like, it's like a P.T. Barnum-esque thing of, like, ladies, the the roar of the tiger may be too much for you. (laughs) And every dude in the audience is like, fuck yeah! (laughs) And every cool girl is, like, throws back a shot of whiskey and is like, I I got this? Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, totally. No, exactly, but I think that, for me, is, like, the whole argument with trigger warnings is kind of ridiculous because it's not about saying like don't read this it's just be ready for this because it's coming and it doesn't ruin anything it doesn't ruin like the plot it doesn't tell you what exactly is going to happen it just says like there's going to be some stuff in here so like i think it actually ends up probably resulting in fewer people leaving because they're prepared for it (laughs) yeah i definitely think that's true and like i definitely think like Really what I'm saying is I don't think in 1931 we quite had the concept of a modern trigger warning, but it totally shows that, like, you could do a modern trigger warning that kind of fit this formatting and was actually helpful to the audience in that way, while also still being, like, rad and not, like, the MPAA has rated this movie, like, yeah. (laughs) Right, exactly. Just like that... The way that they incorporated it into the whole film. Plus, that guy's costume is a precursor to every other amazing costume in this movie. Yeah. Because he's got, like, the velvet smoking jacket tux. I kept waiting for the way this movie was going to be cheap, you know? And, like, I guess the way this movie is... It's not! Yeah. (laughs) Like, I guess the way this movie is cheap is it's only 70 minutes long. Because other than that, like, the costumes are some of the best costumes we've seen. The sets are fucking amazing. Yeah, like, they actually built the stuff instead of just, like, painting it on the back of the wall. And then I was like, oh, I guess it's just a small cast, like, 30 minutes in. Nope. Cast of, like, a couple dozen peasants running around, which is more than I can say for, like, the Broadway melody. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I think the the whole cast of the Broadway Melody are just a couple dozen peasants. That's fair. The first scene within the story, which you were talking about, is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Like, it's atmospheric, it's interesting, there's some really good long dolly shots, which is 
unique for this time. Which, again, like, speaks so much to the set, where it's not just, like, a proscenium stage set that they've turned a camera on. Yeah, and this isn't the first time we've kind of seen that, like, German expressionist just, like, big empty spaces aesthetic. But, like, it's always been, like, this trick that all the movies we've watched have done for the first three minutes. And then they get to their standing set that looks like a bunch of theater flats. And then they're, d- they're done with that. And, like, everything in this movie for, like, the first hour, really even past that, there are so many, like, big cavernous staircases mm-hmm. that are fucking gorgeous in this movie. Like, there's so much, like, good use of negative space in the sets That I think of as, like, this time period in film as an aesthetic. And it's like, why were none of the, like, movies that were nominated for Best Cinematography doing this, but fucking Frankenstein is hitting it out of the park? That's a really good question. I will say, I didn't realize until right now that we were kind of cheating with this one, because it would have been, it would have been up for the 3132 awards oh because it's that late and it's that late in 31 i'd forgotten that it's not actually the like release year release year it's like certain months within the release year and it's too late for that Yeah, but whatever <laughs> that's fine you know if they had wanted us not to watch frankenstein then somebody would have preserved eastland other than the ucla film academy <laughs> yeah also, the one woman character in this ha- is, like, smart and thoughtful and not treated like a, I don't know, like a cipher for men to project their bullshit on. Yeah, she's right about everything. Like, everything. But she's not a nag. She's like, oh, yeah, his work is really important to him. Even when she kind of puts her foot down and goes like, hey, stop robbing graves and trying to bring life to the dead. It's not really framed as, like, you're crazy. Like, a a lot of the dudes in this movie are like, you've gone mad. There's no point in this. She's just going like, this isn't good for you. Like, objectively, (laughs) this this is a bad thing for you to be doing. Not like... The weirdly judgy, like, science can't do this thing for reasons thing that, like, the doctor does. It's really just like, hey, as my fiancé, you're obsessing about this and acting really unhealthy and stop. Right, exactly. Also, we've got the incredibly dapper, good-looking friend who obviously is in love with her, and yet he never makes any creepy moves on her there's no divorcee type thing where she says oh fine well if you're gonna be a bad partner then i'm just gonna hook up with this dude yeah i definitely thought it was going to be after the doctor dies she ends up with him situation and no Mm -hmm. no it, it was not that and good though i do find it really interesting that Dr. Frankenstein, who is actually, I guess, not actually a, a doctor at this point, because he's kind of like a college student or a... Oh, yeah, he kind of, he got kicked out of... Well, it's kind of unclear if he got kicked out after he graduated and he was, like, doing a residency or something, or if he got kicked out while he was still in school. Right. But his name is Henry, whereas, like, the best friend's name is Victor? It was very confusing for the first, like, half hour of the film. Um, until Victor kind of became a non-entity. Right, because she kept saying, Henry this and Henry that, and I was like, what, who the hell is Henry? 
And why do you keep calling this guy Victor? <laughs> it felt kind of like how, you know, how like in the like 70s Incredible Hulk TV show, they changed his name to David. I feel like this was the like, mm, Victor's too German, but let's let, let him know that we read the source material. <laughs> Look, we know it's Victor Frankenstein. We just <laughs> moved Victor to a different dude. Yeah, no one will know he's German after the, like, incredibly cliched village you see for the entire back third of the movie. It'll be fine. There's also just the acting in this movie is fantastic. Nobody was weird or out of place. It was just really, really good. Colin Clive, I thought, was phenomenal. Yeah. When he does the whole it's alive thing, which you've seen played for a laugh so many times. In the context of the movie, it was actually amazing everybody's the good kind of overwrought in this movie you know which is such a like weirdly hard tone to hit Mm -hmm. and a super hard tone for everyone in the movie to like hit the right tone of at the same time like you see so many movies where just like everybody's kind of in a different film and you're like ah that's okay right like what are you gonna do like john malkovich just does that (laughs) and like on this one like everybody was hitting the exact same tone of everything's the exact same shade of purple and it's great yeah it's funny that you say purple because i really felt like and the movie is in black and white but so often i was like oh every people in this movie are all wearing purple yeah i one definitely feel like people in that movie are wearing purple like all the damn time two also it's just like it was It wasn't really overwritten in that purple kind of way, but everyone was playing it in the, like, everything that's happening is the most important thing that's ever happened kind of a way. The stakes are really high. Yeah. He literally brought a dead dude back to life. Yeah. And then it's a wedding. Though, I'll agree with you as far as criticisms are concerned. The pacing is not perfect. The first, like... 40 minutes of it are going along at a nice little clip and then the end is kind of kind of drags out with the villagers yeah the ending weirdly drags but it also just feels like there's like a missing third reel everything happens so fast in the back third of the movie given how deliberate everything is earlier in the film yeah exactly and the the whole wedding thing, Elizabeth has so much to talk about at the wedding about how she's nervous that something is going to happen. It's like, we, we get it. We get it. It's also like weird because there's so many like legitimate reasons for her to be terrified that having her have this like weird woman's intuition thing. Once again, she's right. She's right about everything. So that's cool. She could have just been like, I feel like something is going to go horribly wrong. Why? Well, you did bring the dead back to life. Yeah, there is that in context. (laughs) Our wedding is just something is going to tear us apart. Maybe it will be the dead guy you brought back to life. Why that wasn't part of it. I guess at that point, does she think the monster is dead? There's just this weird thing where, like, it's kind of ambiguous. The monster just, like, goes away and they're like, yeah, it's probably dead. I don't quite get the circumstances that are going on there. Or if that wedding even takes place. But apparently it does because Baron Frankenstein at the end is like, let's raise a glass. That was another thing that is super ambiguous to me is like whether they got married because it seems like when you first show up to the wedding that the wedding has already taken place. 
like the dad is ushering people out, but then they're like still waiting for their guest of honor and she's still in the dress in the bride's changing room. And you're like, where in the wedding timeline are we right now? And like, I've been to a few weddings. It seemed like the end and then it seemed like the everybody is nervously waiting backstage type of thing yeah and then at the end of the movie you're like i guess they're just married i guess they were they were already married i guess they're married let's have a drink (laughs) now that like we've burnt a windmill to the ground and like henry almost fell to his death a toast to my someday grandchild like okay that's odd Though Baron Frankenstein, other than that ending, was one of my favorite characters in the movie. Speaking of people who call out in the context of the movie, the asshole protagonist, he's just like, my son is basically a piece of shit and I know he's cheating on you, which is why he's never around. Yeah. And spending all this time in a weird warehouse instead of, you know, our manor home. Though that gets at another thing that's super weird about this movie is that it's, like, implied pretty... Well, it's not even implied. Like, Henry Frankenstein states directly, like, my dad has never approved of anything anyone has done in in his entire life. They clearly have this super contentious relationship. And then the moment he stops doing weird experiments, it's like they've been fucking old friends since he was three. It's so weird how much it's just, like, a perfectly cordial relationship between the dad and the son after that. No one seems to blame him for raising the dead even a little bit once he says sorry. Yeah, I mean, a girl died. Like, a little girl. There should be some fallout for that. Yeah, and, like, again, I'm really normally of the side of, like, it seems like it's pretty important that we can raise the dead now. I would like some further research into this. Especially given that the experiment has clearly shown what the problem was, and it was putting a criminal brain in the new body. Just don't do that, and you're golden. You literally have solved death. But, like, also, given that everyone is super superstitious and thinks that this is a terribly bad idea, the fact that they all just kind of go like, oh, but you stopped now, (laughs) is a little weird. Right, but how do we know that? It's been, like... Well, actually, I don't know how long it's been. Like, has it been a matter of minutes or a matter of days or... What we know is it's enough time for two costume changes. Because there's one costume change for them to be reading the paper and go, Should we get married? Yes. And then another costume change for the wedding. (laughs) And that could have been anywhere from, like, a year and a half to the better part of a week. From the fact that the monster is just wandering the countryside and seems fine, I guess it can't have been too long, right? Because it's not like that thing can, like, hunt and forage and survive the winter. Or can he? I don't know. Does he just grab a deer and go, and then the deer is dead and he's got a deer? I don't know. I just... I'm clearly putting way too much thought into this, but, like, given that he's surprised by reflections in pools, he hasn't been spending a whole lot of time getting water, so he probably hasn't been on the lamb for that many days. Yeah, I mean, I sort of got the impression that it was, like, 
a day. Yeah. I guess I thought it was one day because otherwise, like, why would they go ahead with the wedding? Like, wouldn't you kind of postpone that to make sure that the dead guy you raised who, like, killed somebody is is found before he kills somebody else? But see, what I'm saying is the timeline before he ever sees that girl. Before the scene with the little girl. Right, but he kills Fritz. Oh, yes. That's a good point. I just, I guess I think of Fritz as the least worthy of remorse of any character in this film. So I just kind of blocked that out. But yeah, he definitely does kill a guy. And then, yeah, you're right that they just kind of go. That's what I was saying earlier about just like, so they're just fine with him being out there? What's, do they have some reason why they assume the monster is dead? It's one of those, like, did I miss 30 seconds of this film that were super vital that explained this? Or is it just like, eh, I bet that stupid thing's dead by now. <laughs> uh, yeah, they didn't play that one right. They should have gone and looked for him. And like, I want to be clear, I could do, I could do like five things on that level about Cimarron if I really wanted to. Oh, at least. I'm beaten up on this movie because I like it quite a bit. And there are like things that are weird about it because it's from 1931 while it's still a good movie. While that is not the case with Cimarron. No. It's, a, well, it's got a couple of good scenes, I guess. Can't really remember any of them. I guess the courtroom scene. That's it. It has a couple of good scenes that don't make any sense in the context of the movie, though. They're just like, and now, the Oscar bait. <laughs> yes. Can I talk about my favorite thing, which is, I'm, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, and that's why it's hilarious to me, but I imagine it's an actual tradition. But my favorite moment in the film is the moment at the wedding where the father just insists all the maids drink <laughs> and then tells them to leave. All right, bridesmaids. Or not bridesmaids, they're just maids, like housekeepers. Yeah, it's just like a line of housekeepers with trays with drinks on them, with trays with a drink on each of them. And you're like, oh, who were the drinks for? And then he just tells them all to drink the drink they've been holding there for like a three minute scene. And then goes, thanks, and then t tells them all to leave. Now get out. <laughs> You've done your weird ritual, thank you. <laughs> the usual question of, should you watch this movie? Unequivocally, yes. There's no reason to not watch this movie. In fact, if you haven't, you should immediately. You should absolutely <laughs> watch this movie, yeah. It's barely over an hour long. Yeah, it's quick. And rating, as far as like, one to ten. Eight? Eight? Does eight make sense? I would, oof. I'm tempted to give it a nine. I watched it twice and like I didn't have to. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm going to stick to the I'm going to stick to the eight because like it's still storytelling wise a little bit sloppy. If we're going to do the thing we were originally saying of like we're not going to rate this by 20 or by 1931 standards. Right. Hasn't stood the test of time. All right. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Okay. That's legit. Because I definitely think that the last 30 minutes of it are a little sloppy narrative wise technically they're still very good though it also is where the movie suffers technically the most just in the outdoor scenes it's kind of like they don't yet know how to pace the chase and capture the monster trope yet that works kind of to the movie's benefit during the first scene with the little girl the fact that the outdoor like shots are almost overexposed and it's like so light out is like weirdly uncanny 
Because it's always supposed to be like 11 p.m. at night when you meet the monster, right? Mm -hmm. And that he's just like standing there by a lake at what looks like one in the afternoon. Right. Is (laughs) super creepy and great. But then when they're leading a mob with, you know, torches and pitchforks, and it still looks like it's about one in the afternoon, then it's a little less great. The pacing of it is not great. It takes too long for them to do their pitchfork and whatever deal with nothing else interspersed. None of the villagers become specific at all. They're just a mob. Yeah, and there's no, like, cutting back to the fiancé slash maybe wife, we're still not sure, <laughs> for where she's like no, it's all gonna go wrong, or something. Like, it's just, like, shot of angry mob, other shot of angry mob, angry mob coordinates, shot of the two directions the angry mob went into, third angry mob finds something, first two angry mobs check it in. Did you find something? No, because the third mob found something. (laughs) Like, it's... I'm very weird. But that's literally the only thing that I can criticize the film for, so, like, I'm gonna go for eight and a half. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna stay at eight. I want a little more room at the top, but I really liked this movie. And it is definitely leading nominee for 1932 now, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we could just say for for 1931 as well. What the hell? We make the rules. (laughs) Speaking of which, we're about to have this exact same problem again with Skippy. Boy, are we ever. And I I have not been slacking on trying to find it. No, yeah. Though apparently there are copies that exist. I just don't know where. It seems like there are a few more private vaults that have it. There was a... A restoration announced about 10 years ago that then nothing ever came of. It was on Turner Classic Movies in January of 2016 because there's a lot of reviews on the Turner Classic Movies website from January of 2016. That's a whole other thing that there are people who are just like, psyched to write reviews for the Turner Classic Movies website. But like, of course there are, right? (laughs) And I'm now checking it, and City Lights is absolute, it's January 30th, 1931. It definitely falls within the right time frame. Yeah, it just didn't get nominated for anything. So yeah, I I guess we'll have to watch this instead of Skippy. (laughs) We'll have to watch this movie that got nominated for nothing and has multiple times made the AFI top 100 list in the top 10 films of all time. Multiple totally brilliant film directors who have come afterward have been like, yeah, this is in my top five favorite movies ever. Nominated for nothing. In retrospect, it's like a fucking miracle Citizen Kane got nominated. Maybe they get their shit together after the 30s. Well, I mean, that's not even after the 30s, though. Maybe they get their shit together in the next couple of years. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We may never know. We will most likely know. Most likely we will know like a year from now when we get that far in. Tune in next week when we may or may not watch Skippy and we'll probably watch City Lights instead. I'm going to say it's like 80-20 for City Lights. Until then. That was a really good movie, you guys. Like, it was a movie movie. It was a movie. (laughs) You should see. You should go see this movie. And we'll see you next week. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. In the name of God.